What inspires a firefighter and paramedic to go into medical school 10 years into their career? What was the journey like as a non-traditional student and applicant? How do you make time to meet the application requirements with a full-time career and additional responsibilities? And finally, does the fire pole actually exist in fire stations? Today on Talking Admissions and Med Student Life, I interview Wendy, a former firefighter and paramedic for Salt Lake County and first-year student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. Well, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Got our great guest today, Wendy, uh, incoming student, first year student. So good morning, Wendy. Good morning, Dr. Chan. <laughs> well, I'm glad you can be here. Um, first of all, um, Let's talk about your journey. I read your, I reread your application prior to coming in. Okay. So it sounds like uh, you came to the decision to apply to medical school a little bit later in life. That's true. Uh, well, if you count twenty-seven, is that later? <laughs> Slightly, yeah, yeah. So, like, talk about that. What, what, what? I, I talk about your journey. How did you get to this point? Well, you know. I guess like 90% of the pre-med students you'll talk to, I knew I wanted to do this from when I was a small, small child. Well, well, I had like three months where I wanted to be a pony, but once I figured out I couldn't be a pony, <laughs> yeah. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Um, but life kind of just didn't fall that way. I kind of just assumed it would happen, and I ended up um, my first bout at college. I basically failed out and just kind of ended up floundering. And more or less stumbled into the fire service mm-hmm. and um, found a passion for that that I, I would never have even guessed I would have found. And if we had all day, I could talk for weeks about all the things I learned about myself and uh, just life lessons in general mm-hmm. from the fire service. Um, but found my, really found a career there that I loved and could put my whole self into. So I, I did that, and I was working in Salt Lake County. And so part of the firefighting, you also were a paramedic, too. Yes, a yeah. firefighter and a paramedic. Okay, awesome. So the fire department actually put me through paramedic school, mm-hmm. which is which is why I was interested in, in the fire service in the first place, because paramedicine sounded kind of close to being a, do- a doctor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so I ended up being a firefighter and paramedic in Salt Lake County. And I was, I was fairly happy there. Um, and then about seven years into my career, I kind of started to feel a little limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not diminishing, I can't say enough how important what our EMS crews do and our fire crews do. It's a very important career, a calling almost. Um, but I kind of began to get frustrated. I felt like a Band-Aid. I felt like I'd see these traumatic things happen. I'd see horrible things happen to people. And I'd be with them for under an hour. I'd bond with them. I'd help them. And then I'd drop them off for someone else to do the definitive care. Mm-hmm. And that began to feel rather limiting to me. Um, and then, <laughs> then actually one specific call I went on, it was a little girl who's mother had accidentally backed over her in a driveway. So this mm. little girl was probably about three. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I approached her on this call, I thought she was unconscious because she had an obvious open pelvic fracture. I mean, just horrific injuries on this little three-year-old girl. Um, so I was trying to ease her out of her mother's arms and kind of croon at her and say, you know, baby, you're doing so fine. Mm-hmm. What a, what a proud, what a brave baby you are. And she opened her eyes up and looked at me and said, I am not a baby. I am a big girl. <laughs> and you know, just, just that moment, that connection of this is a fellow, this is a kindred spirit. This is that little defiant spirit, you know? So that all through that call, we ended up flying her up to primary children's. Um, as I was getting her ready for the flight team, she would constantly reach out to make sure I was there and mm-hmm. say, you know, Wendy, what's going on now? Wendy, you're going to stay with me now. Wendy, you're going to help me. Right. And, uh, 
And the last thing she asked me when I said, well, the flight crew's coming to get you and they'll, t- they'll take you to a doctor. She said, Wendy, why aren't you my doctor? Mm. Why aren't you going to be my doctor? You know, and I, it's not like right then I gave her my life story and mm-hmm. <laughs> started to know philosophy of what happened and why I wasn't her doctor. Mm-hmm. But that's, that question really stuck in my mind and started to really make me think. I mean, the fire service had taught me how to really work for what I wanted and how to not give up and to not let any excuse ever get in your way. And so I started thinking, why wasn't I like, why hadn't I become a doctor? Why were I letting, why was I letting the excuses get in my way? Mm -hmm. Um, And then right, right at this time, my dad was diagnosed with uh, multiple myeloma, which is bone marrow cancer. And uh, so for two years, we had a really fierce fight with that. And so that actually put me back in the hospital system a lot. I was, I was, at LDS hospital mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot with him going to appointments and helping yeah, going out. to appointments. Yeah. And then, you know, he had a bone marrow plants transplant. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I actually ended up seeing doctors a lot again mm-hmm. and kind of that, that nagging question just got reignited. Like, why am I not doing this? I still want to do this. And I realized that even though I'd been 10 years in another career, it was still what I wanted to do. Um, and my father actually ended up passing away from complications from a bone marrow transplant. Um, and so when you, I really think when you lose somebody that close to you, you kind of have to confront your own mortality. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at my life and I said, if I died now, was there anything that I would regret? And that was my one regret that I had never really given it my all mm-hmm. and tried to become a doctor. Um, so I decided to do it and I did. So I gave it everything I had. Mm-hmm. So you had to go back to school and do the pre-med recs? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I hadn't even finished my bachelor's yet. Mm-hmm. So, um, because I was an older student and because I kind of had a fire lit underneath me and I wanted to get, I wanted it going. I didn't want to not, not go to medical school till I was 50. Um, Oh man, it was, it was a crazy ride because I knew I had to finish my bachelor's degree and I also had to do all of my pre-med requisites. Um, and I also had to get a GPA high enough to compensate for the 10 years earlier when I basically failed out of college. Mm -hmm. So I ended up balancing, um, Oh, and at the same time as an older student, you have adult responsibilities. And I hate to say that 20 year olds don't, Mm -hmm. but I had a mortgage and a car payment and not just a job. I had a career. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like I could just quit my weekend job. So how'd you do that? Because I know there's people out there listening to the podcast who are going to be touched by your story, Wendy, who, you know, for one reason or another kind of are in a career and they've always wanted to go to medicine. What advice would you give them when they have to go back to school? I mean, how how did that happen? How did you pull that off? Well, I think... (laughs) The first thing you need to realize, um, I wish I could say it was sunshine and roses. Mm-hmm. I wish I could say I decided to be a doctor and it went smoothly and great. Um, it, I've done some pretty hard things in my life, and this was one of the hardest. Um, you have to realize that if you, if you want to be a doctor, even if you're in a career doing something else 10 years deep, you will always want to be a doctor. Mm. I can't tell you how many people come up to me every week and say, you know, I wanted to be a doctor, but, or I wanted to be a doctor. And then, um, so if you're one of those people and you're listening, I can promise you, you'll always feel like that. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you recognize from the beginning, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to take a massive amount of determination. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be done, but it, I can't stress enough that it was worthwhile. So mm-hmm. what I did, so I was averaging 60 hours a week at work. Um, and I, my degree, the, the program that worked the best with what I'd, what I already taken was actually Utah Valley university. Uh, I got a bachelor's in emergency services management and administration. Um, so I took half my classes there to finish my bachelor's and I took half my classes at the university of Utah to work on my pre-med rec- requisites. 
so what I would do <laughs> is I used all of my vacation days to cover my lab days, the days at the U that I couldn't miss. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your laboratories for your physics and your chemistry, mm-hmm. and you can't miss those. So every single vacation day I had, I used for those. Um, and then I would trade shifts with people to try to accommodate the days I didn't have vacation for. And then the rest of it, I just missed class. You know, I, I talked to a lot of professors and told them my, my situation. And I wish I could say that they'd been helpful. Mm-hmm. But no one cared, you know, <laughs> no, no one really cares. And, and that's something you should realize going in that nobody's going to make special exceptions for you, which is actually I think that's good for you. It teaches mm-hmm. you to make it work no matter what. Even though you missed class, you were still responsible for the material. Right. Correct? You're yeah. still responsible for the material. You're responsible for the quizzes, the exams you miss. Mm-hmm. Um, you're responsible for everything you miss, obviously. Mm-hmm. So what I would do was any class I missed, I would just learn on my own, right? Mm-hmm. I would read the material beforehand. I would go to office hours when mm-hmm. I could. Any of the time that I had that I wasn't at work, I pretty much was on one campus or the other. Do you find, I, I, I like how you said you had a lot of extra responsibilities as an older student. Yes. Did you find since that required you to have more focus, class was easier in certain respects or was it was it still harder with everything going on? Well, you know, <laughs> see, I, I can still remember I was in between classes and I'd scheduled, you know, when you only have so many days you can make class, you schedule all your classes on one day. So mm-hmm. I think I had like 11 hours of class one That's day. That's a lot of class. Yes. And I was sitting, I had t- a 10-minute break, so I was studying for my next class, and I, some like 20-year-old girl sat next to me, and she was watching an episode of Family Guy in her break. And I remember just thinking, how on earth do you have time to watch Family Guy? You must be a totally undedicated student. But, but, but it's and looking back now, that's that's totally silly. I'm sure ten minutes of watching Family Guy was fine. But but like you mentioned, being an older student, I I basically had no option to fail. I mean, I was I was risking my career. I was putting my entire life on the line for this, and uh, that motivated me to to do the best. There was no option to sort of do homework. There was no option mm-hmm. to blow it off and party. Yeah. I mean, my friends thought I disappeared for three years. Well, so. I mean, Wendy, I like what you're talking about because, you know, up to this point, we've just kind of talked about the academics, but applying to medical school requires so much more. I mean, yeah. there's the community service, yes. there's research, there, there there's shadowing doctor. I mean, there's all these other things. And in our medical school, we kind of, you know, put this criteria out there. It's on the internet. But I know a lot of other medical schools use the same kind of criteria. Right. So, Again, did you just kind of fit all those different activities into your schedule? I mean, it sounds like yes. your schedule was very, very regimented. Very, very yeah. regimented. Well, and as a as an adult, um, it's not like I was going to drop the things I was already doing to mm-hmm. fit a box that I thought that everybody else did. I mean, I am not by any means diminishing people who volunteer at soup kitchens and read to kids after school and do that. But, but I had to take more of a unique approach. So what I did... Um, I looked at the use requirements and I put them up on a big whiteboard in my study mm-hmm. and I put these are the areas that I need filled and these are the minimums, these are what's average and I know I need to beat average on every single thing. So how do I do that? And I'd also compared different medical schools around the country. If I, I mean, the U was always my first choice, but if mm-hmm. I didn't get into the U, I compared their admissions and their requirements and the U's fit everybody's. So I use the U as basically my Bible. Kind of like a template. Yes. yes. I use the U's admissions form as my template. And then I looked at the activities I had already been doing before I even decided to go to medical school. And I think if you are an adult and you're deciding, maybe I want to go to medical school, I think if that's the kind of thing that calls to you, you'll find that some of the activities you were already doing will mm-hmm. fit in those areas. So for instance, I had been playing in a symphony for a few years and it was a volunteer symphony. 
but that fits as volunteer work. I was already volunteering mm-hmm. with a little bit something that was a little more unique, or I was volunteering with a FEMA team, or I was. This is the Utah Task Force FEMA Urban Search and Rescue Team. <laughs> right, right, what is right. that? Tell me about that. Right. <laughs> so that um, <clears throat> that is a so FEMA has different task force mm-hmm. that deploy to uh, national disasters to. Um, terrorist attacks. So actually, Utah Task Force One, this was way before my time, but they mm-hmm. actually deployed to the World Trade Center. Okay. So those are the things that they deploy to um, and do. They search for victims. They help out with the uh, emergency crews there. Um, so it's a, basically a lot of prep work for a little tiny window of glory that you might get to go to. Mm-hmm. And I guess and glory is the wrong word, but a little tiny window of work. Okay. So it's a lot like it's a lot like a lot like EMS in general, okay. where you have to practice and practice and train and train for the one moment when that all those skills are going to be called on. So you know they have search dogs, they have doctors that work with the team. Um, I worked with them as a medical specialist, uh, for, actually for taking care of the medical needs of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have doctors that would actually care for not only the team, but for victims we had find. Um, they have search techs, they have rescue techs. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that Salt Lake City Fire and Unified Fire Authority uh, both su- supply the personnel to. Okay. Um, that's an amazing task force. And okay. they're, they're all volunteer until they get deployed. Okay. And I was never deployed. Okay. <laughs> so, so I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not the big what, I, I'm not like the hero that goes and deployed. I actually never went on a deployment. But mm-hmm. those those men and women that work on that team are amazing. Could you get deployed during medical school? I mean, do you have to be an active member or is it kind of like the Army Reserves or how is that set up? So I am not an active member anymore oh, okay. because you have to be an active member of the fire department because mm-hmm. those are the ones who Salt Lake City Fire and Unified oh, right, Fire sponsor it. Okay. So I actually had to officially retire a couple of months ago from Unified Fire to get ready for medical school. Okay. So, so I wouldn't deploy with those right. with them anymore, but I really, I'm really planning. I hope, um, when I'm done with my medical training to rejoin the task force as a doctor. Okay. So that's one of my long-term career goals. Awesome. So. Well, let's go back to applying to medical school. Um, what advice would you ha- would you give students who you know might be a little bit older, more mature? I mean, did that come up a lot on the interview trail or, I mean, well, you know, what specific advice would you give people? You know, it came up a little bit. People wanted to know why I hadn't applied earlier, mm-hmm. but I think we've covered that. You mm-hmm. know, you so be prepared for those questions. Be prepared for personal questions about your life, but at the same time, don't be discouraged because I had ten years of life experience and career experience that allowed me to just kind of. I, I hesitate to use this phrase, but you'll dominate at interviews, right? Mm-hmm. When compared to. A 21-year-old who maybe has never interviewed for anything and doesn't have a great amount of life experience, that really gave me an advantage mm. to be comfortable in an interview situation. And also um, and also, I had a lot more to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. there, I could pick. I didn't have to – I didn't have like six experiences that I had to use. Mm. I had 300 that I could pick the best of. So let's say um, – let me use the term interview anxiety. Okay. And let's pretend – you're going to a three alarm fire. Is, okay. it, is it the same kind of feeling you have or uh, was it, is it comparable? I mean, would you have anxiety um, going to a big fire or, or would um, you say medical school interviews are more anxiety provoking than being a fire? Well, it's a, it's a little, I think that's a unique advantage I have as well is that I have been going on a fire. I have been going, I've been sent on calls in that three minutes when, you know, it's a multiple vehicle accident with multiple ejections, you okay. know, or it's a fully involved fire and you're the only 
you're the closest truck mm-hmm. and nobody else can find the fire and you're there by yourself, mm-hmm. right? That's some pretty heavy anxiety that, mm-hmm. that they train us to deal with. So I've been trained to deal with. I've been in those situations. So what are some tips you can give to people to help them calm their nerves before so, they walk into that medical <laughs> interview? That's what I'm trying so, to get at. Okay, okay. So there, there, now there's, I see where a, we're going. there's a ma- method to my questioning. Yeah. Okay. So when you compare that to – it is the same kind of anxiety. And I think regardless of your preparation, you're going to feel some anxiety because if you don't, you don't care. Mm-hmm. So you're going to feel some. Um, and the way I learned to deal with that is – Preparation. That's probably 99% of how I mm-hmm. deal with anxiety is I ran interviews with so practice other interviews, people, mock interviews. over and over okay. again, okay. mock interviews, right, anybody okay. who would listen to me for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. What <laughs> so, about MMI? Did you have practice mock MMI or, um, cause I know it's be- MMI is be- like we, we do that here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. Right. And I know it's becoming more prevalent, especially in medical schools in the Western United States. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I would say I did. I mean, I didn't do a formal MMI by the time. I had one of the earliest interviews, okay. so our pre-med counseling office didn't have any practices set up yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I would have. I totally would have taken yeah. advantage of Dr. Chan of tip, use your pre-med office. Yeah. I think most yes. of them have that set up by now. Yes. So, so um, But I also – we do that kind of same thing in the fire service a lot where okay. you don't know what's going on. You go into a room and you have five minutes to address the situation. Okay. So I was uniquely prepared for that. But – if that isn't your job, which mm-hmm. I'm guessing most people that isn't, mm-hmm. I would practice those over and over and over again. Okay. Whoever will do it with you. Okay. <laughs> so. Did you, I mean, did you like them? MMI compared to traditional interviews or how, how are your thoughts and feelings about that? Uh, you know, I liked them both. Okay. I think the U was my favorite interview I did because they did both. They had traditional, which gave me a little bit more time to get to know my interviewers as well as for them to know me. Mm-hmm. But then the MMI still judges that your ability to quickly react. Think on your feet. Yes. Yeah. So I loved, I loved the combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and other medical schools that either had one or the other, I mm-hmm. felt like something was missing from mm-hmm. in the interview. So I, I'm a huge fan of the way that you did it. Awesome. Well, let's <laughs> talk about the U. So like, obviously you got in here. I, I realize you got in other places. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose the U? Why did you choose to come here? Um, you know, there's there's the superficial answers of why anyone would want to live in Utah. Mm-hmm. Utah's a great place to live. I mean, if you're an outdoorsy person. And I was born and raised here, so those Rocky Mountains, you know, they have a little bit of my soul. Mm-hmm. So, But there's there's things to do in the summer and the winter. The people are great. I mean, there's a world-class symphony. There's a lot of stuff to do. Um, but other than that, I'd had the ob- kind of unique, obviously, uh, position as well to see the University of Utah Healthcare in Action. Mm. So I've been in your trauma bays. I've been in your emergency rooms. I've ridden with your helicopter teams. I've seen your surgeons. And I'm I'm very impressed overall with how the medical teams work together as a whole. And beyond that, even, I've seen the physicians that have trained here. You know, I've seen them go in and I've seen them come out. And I've seen the caliber of physicians that are produced by this medical school. And that was something that I wanted. That mm-hmm. was something that I wanted to be a part of. Are you naturally just destined to go to become an emergency medicine physician? Or? <laughs> you know what? I talk about asking a blind person a question, right? <laughs> I can tell you all the things I think I'll do going okay. into medical school, but you know, I don't, I don't think I will do emergency medicine. Um, part of the frustration I had as a paramedic was seeing patients for so little time mm-hmm. and not having a lot of follow up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of emergency medicine is similar to that. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually, currently I'm leaning more towards being a surgeon. Okay. Um, I love the follow-up that you can get with that. I mm-hmm. love 
So I don't want to go. And, I'm totally going to jinx myself if I go anywhere. Dory, Wendy, I'll track you down four years and, and hold this podcast <laughs> you against us. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's that's more what I'm looking at. I, it's very important to me to work with my hands and still mm-hmm. develop that skill set as well as a mental skill set. So surgery is really appealing to me currently. Okay, all right. Well, in the last few minutes, Wendy, I have some questions about firefight, firefight, oh, or the fire service. <laughs> okay, is that, is that okay? Yes, please. All right, okay, here we go. These are these are. I've asked a lot of people. Like if you can ask a firefighter one question, like so, like I got a bunch of these. All okay, right. the fire pole exists, not exist. What's going on with that? It does, it does exist. Okay, um, and we've built several new stations lately that have them. Okay, we've also built several stations that don't have them. So there's still there's still a safety risk. I mean, they still we still get injuries on the fire pole, mm-hmm. but um, and they actually have new safety mechanisms that make it a little bit harder to get down there unless you're supposed to. But okay. they exist. So it's not required. You can take the stairs. Oh yeah, you don't okay. have to. It is. It takes a lot longer to take the stairs. Okay. But also, I remember the first time I did take a fire pole because nobody instructs you how to use the fire pole. Mm-hmm. Use your legs. Okay. Just so you know, use okay. your legs. Use your legs. Don't just grab on with your hand. You lose all your skin. Okay. Um, <laughs> great. All right. Great. Next question. Um, like when the truck is leaving, is there like a favorite position, like to drive the truck or to be on the top? Oh. <laughs> I mean, where, where well, is that it? is going to depend on who you ask. Okay, so like, <laughs> so it's personality driven. Well, it is personality driven a little bit. It depends on your specialty, but I guess the general consensus is riding backwards is what we call it. Riding backwards is the best because the boot firefighters, so your your rookie new firefighters, are always riding backwards because they don't have a specialty yet. Mm-hmm. So all you do is you ride backwards, you get all your gear on, someone tells you what to do, and then you go do the fun things. Like you go fight the fire or cut the holes with the chainsaw. So we kind of we kind of argue that that's the best position because mm-hmm. it's the least responsibility and the most fun. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see those guys riding backwards, so, wave at them. They're the lucky so, ones. All right. All right. Good. Oh, this is, these are excellent. These are excellent. All right. Um, is it true that every fire station – you call them fire stations, right? Right. Is there a copy of the movie Backdraft? <laughs> You know is, that, is that the most popular fire service movie? You know what? Okay, I'm not going to say we haven't all watched Backdraft. Okay. Because <laughs> we have. Okay. But it's so inaccurate and terrible okay. that – but we all watch it. We don't keep it with us. Is there a more accurate movie or TV series about the life of a firefighter? You know, um, if you're not easily offended, the mm-hmm. first season of Rescue Me is – Fairly accurate okay. for firehouse life. Um, but it's really hard to do an accurate fire scene, an actual house fire in movies because, you know, in movies you always see the fire and they're walking around and they can, you can't see anything. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's big, black, hot nothingness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of have to stumble around and find your way by feel. And that's really hard to put on movies. Mm-hmm. So they never do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, Good to know. Just so you know, you can't see. Good to know. <laughs> What is the story – and look this up if you don't know. This is like fire <laughs> service trivia. What is the story about the Maltese cross? Um, oh, man. You would ask me that. So it's – oh, my gosh. They teach us this on our first day and I haven't thought about it in 10 years. It's nights, I Yes, think. yes, nights. All right. It's so nights. Oh, look, good. You know. There's a, there's, a, there's a cross on all fire stations, all fire trucks, all right. fire service personnel. Yep. And it's called the Maltese cross. Right. And it comes from the Crusaders – there was many different crusades, but knights in the 11th and 12th century. Right. And apparently they were really good at what they were doing, um, and they were fighting some enemy, enemy who likes to use fire, and that's where it came from. Okay, yeah. yeah. See? So okay. I'm glad you looked that up. Because- All right, good. Um, <laughs> Wendy, I, I was disappointed to see you come in here without your Dalmatian. Oh. What, what is up with Dalmatians <laughs> and fire service? <laughs> well, you know, that's just kind of a tradition that started back – Oh, man. Back towards the roots of the fire service. 
where um, we had horse-drawn carriages okay. and the dogs would just ride along. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dalmatians, it just kind of got stuck as a fire. I researched thing. this. Trust okay. me, I do a lot of research. <laughs> Dalmatians are known for their poor hunting abilities. All Dalmatian lovers out there, please do not email me if it's not correct. I just looked this up. <laughs> and because of that, they kind of hung out with the horses. Right. And Dalmatians are naturally not afraid of horses because they just were like buddies in the stable. Uh-huh. And so they like when fire stations used to be drawn by horses, apparently there'd be a pack of Dalmatians that would ride along with them. Uh-huh. And when they would pull up to the house, there'd be so many dogs, it would naturally block the street. Uh-huh. That's smart. Yeah. So it just kind of evolved from that. So I just, again, like I just try to have this mental image of like 30 or 40 Dalmatians blocking up entire street while this fire horse drawn fire station carriage kind of pulls oh. up. So, well, I'm glad you researched this. So yes. I'm, did, I'm did coming your station, off badly. Did your station, station have a Dalmatian? Uh, no, we don't have dogs in the station anymore, except for rescue dogs and None of them are Dalmatians because Dalmatians are poor hunting okay. dogs. It's just that myth that propagates, I guess. Yes. All right. Um, and then last question. Again, more trivia. Who founded the first volunteer fire department? Oh, you would ask me that. Oh, shoot. Ben Franklin. I was going to say Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin. Dang, Dang it. it. Dang it. <laughs> so I researched that uh, used to be there was something called fire clubs. It was kind of like this own private fire insurance that these right. clubs existed but they only protect certain neighborhoods or buildings. Yeah. And then uh, Ben Franklin had the idea of like, hey, why don't we have an all-volunteer fire service who protects the entire community and not just certain right. houses or streets. Right. So he kind of founded that and then the whole idea kind of took off. Yeah. There. They used to kind of – firemen just used to be gangs before that. So. <laughs> or the gang activity. I wasn't going to go there, Wendy, but awesome. But see, so. I know the bad history. I just don't know the playful <laughs> trivia. Awesome. Well, Wendy, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm, we're really excited to have you, and I hope uh, uh, hope medical school goes well for you. We'll have you back on the podcast near the end to kind of check in on, on your <laughs> surgery decision. Yes. All right. Well, thank you for having me, and it's it's been an honor and a pleasure. All right. So. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.